Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Fascinating Nouns. We are still the galaxy's most trusted source for incredible people, places, things, and ideas. Now, it is here at this curious nexus point that we explore the strange, unusual, offbeat, bizarre, intriguing, interesting, invigorating, quirky, quaint, quizzical, weird, wild, wacky, the fun, the frivolous, and the fringe. Plus all the spaces in between. I am your host, Daniel J. Glenn. I'm going to start this week's episode with a question. What do Dr. Strange, Dr. Bruce Banner, Doc Ock, Dr. Doom, and Doc Denon all have in common? They are either superheroes or superhero experts. Well, tonight I have one of them on the program, Dr. Michael Denon. Dr. Denon has kind of made a name for himself as the go-to guy for taking superhero, basically any kind of fiction, but specifically superhero phenomenon, and explaining them from a rational physics standpoint, explaining the laws, how can these things abide by the laws of physics, and how do they violate the laws of physics. He claims that there is nothing that he can't explain in the superhero world with physics. I want to put him to the test today. He's been on Ancient Aliens, Batman Tech, Spider-Man Tech, Star Trek Tech, and the science of Superman. He is currently a professor of physics and astronomy at University of California, Irvine, and I have the distinct honor of sitting down with the man right across from me, Dr. Michael Denon. Thank you so much for being here today. You're welcome. It's fun to be here. Well, so now here's how I discovered you, uh, you know, 20 years into your career. <laughs> I, I took your Walking Dead course. You actually designed with the faculty here at UC Irvine a class about the Walking Dead. It's like a survival, it's basically a survival guide, essentially, correct? In exactly. Every aspect. We, we decided to take kind of three, three or four aspects of surviving the zombie apocalypse. The public health perspective, uh, the sort of health social science interaction. How do you set up a new community? How do you pick leaders and leadership? We even brought in the math aspect. Uh, how would you like to predict your zombie apocalypse? What's your chances of surviving? How is the disease going to spread? And I had the fun one. I got to do the physics of zombie damage, how to kill zombies, <laughs> and how to prevent being killed. That is, I don't, they're, they're all fun. It was here's what's here's this is this is what I love about it and you. I'm kind of a cerebral guy and I love talking about and I'm also a fan, I'm like a twelve year old boy. And I love talking about twelve year old things in very adult scientific ways. And that is what the course completely was. Oh exactly. Yeah. No, and that was that was kind of our goal. And I think people it was funny, during that process we often got asked, you know, why would you do something like this in pop culture? Isn't this not academic? And my common answer is when I point it out to people, every good teacher, I probably even going back to Socrates, he probably put it in the context of what the people were living that day. Right? If, you, if you teach and you don't use a student's current context, it's not going to make any sense to them. And so we love, I love to take from current events, popular culture, everything that's going on and say, okay, physics matters. Here's why it matters. Yeah. You are the modern-day Socrates. I'm going to bill you as that. Is that okay, all right? That is fine. <laughs> all right. Um, yeah, so the, yeah, and it's funny because you guys brought in the math sequence. There was, there was a sequence about uh, swarms, like zombie swarms, how that would work. And i got to be honest, I'm, you know, I'm a relatively smart guy, kind of over my head a little bit. But really, I was like, oh, I want to understand this. Well, you know? I think that's, that's the fascinating thing about the math section. And, in fact, the woman who did that um, got to do it again at a science fiction conference down in San Diego. And my daughter took it, and she's just taking calculus in high school. And, and she loved it. And her comment was, 
now when my friends complain, what's this calculus useful for? I can say, in the zombie apocalypse, <laughs> you can predict how long you're going to live. <laughs> Finally, a real-world application for calculus. <laughs> that is so funny. Yeah, and I felt like, you know, I took calculus in high school and college, and it was just, it was too much. But it made me want to go and revisit those things. And there was also, I was really surprised, I think the first lesson was um, Mav's, law, Mav's Law's is that like hierarchy. Hierarchy of needs. Right. And it's so true. And it, it's really, I mean, when you take a step back, it's how societies interact. And when you're watching it on The Walking Dead, you're like, oh, my God, like if that happened, what do we need first? I need air to breathe. Exactly. One, you know? And then what do I need next? Well, I need food and water. And it goes down the list up until I think the far, first one is like human love and contact. Exactly. You know? We were all trying to figure out where texting came in. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> when he wrote it, it didn't exist. <laughs> right. But like it's, you know, it, it was just, it gives you a whole different perspective. And I, I loved it. So when we yeah. get back to my, my point, was you started talking about um, Batman technology. I think they mentioned you had been on that. And, right. and you're like the guy who can take superheroes and break them down on a real-world physics level. And that's, you know, just, we're going to take a minute to get into that, but that's essentially, you know, what I thought would be a really fun episode to do. And I love, like, one way I love to build it, I go around when I can to schools or public talks. I like to call it the challenge the professor. Mm. I claim there isn't a single superpower that I can't talk science about. Really? Yes. So well, that, that's my claim. <laughs> Okay. I wish I had known that I know. I should have told you ahead of time yeah. to see. But, and, and I'll tell you, you know, the interesting thing was the last time oh. I did this, I finally got asked about Wonder Woman's Lasso of Truth, which I'd never been asked about before. Oh. That, was, that was kind of a unique one. Well, that's, but, you know, that's not really her power. But it's not really power. Yeah. Right. So I, I allow artifacts. I, I'm, I'm pretty broad-minded on this. Even though I focus on superpowers, I'm willing to go with artifacts that do things. So Thor's hammer is so not Thor's off limits. So Thor's hammer is not off limits. Okay, I'm sure you've been asked about that one a million times. Now, before we get into that, you are also a regular on Ancient Aliens. Yes, I am. Now, how does that? Now, this is another interest of mine. We won't go into it too much, but where do you fall in on the show? What's your role? In so I, I'm the friendly skeptic on the show. Friendly. Uh, friendly skeptic. Yeah. Because <laughs> they could use friendly skeptics. Because they can use friendly skeptics. I think. And, and I have occasionally gotten some flack for being on that show, to be honest. Really? Because of, you know, why would you be on a show like that that deals with those sort of issues that are in some ways hard to answer from any scientific point of view because uh -huh. they're so old you can't really do experiments anymore. Mm -hmm. right? And that's one of the challenges mm -hmm. of ancient aliens is you know, science is about doing experiments. And to say, you know, what happened thousands and thousands of years ago, you know, yes, we have the archaeological evidence but it's hard to reconstruct an experiment but what yeah. I like what they let me do on the show is talk about a lot of interesting current science current science about space potential space travel how that works um, and I personally feel anytime I get a chance to talk science to people in the public is a good thing well and then I can make the argument that our current science would be an aliens ancient science right if they're it, so far advanced it could possibly and, and, and that's one of the things I am intrigued by most is not so much whether aliens visited us in the past, which is fun. I like mm. thinking about it. But the thing that really intrigues me is as we finally, you know, I sort of always knew there were planets out there. Mm. I mean, I was one of these people who said, look, they're got to be. It's weird that we would be unique. Yeah. But the nice thing is the astronomers are finally finding them. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And we know that something like one in 20 stars have a planet in what we call the habitable zone. 
I didn't know it was that high. Yeah, that's that's so recent. That's that's the most recent. That's five percent, right? Yeah, which is amazing. So, you know, getting numbers like that, you start to realize, yeah, there probably is life elsewhere, and then you start to wonder how likely is it that it's a life we could communicate that we could ever meet. It's a Drake you equation, know. man. Yeah, exactly. Are they ahead of us? Are they behind us? You know, what's going to happen? So I. I find that whole area very fascinating. Well, and if, you know, if, if listeners don't know what the Drake equation is, you should look it up. It's basically a mathematical formula where all the variables are almost like a hierarchy of needs in a way where, you know, you start out broad and you slow, you know, how many stars are in the Milky Way? How many right. of those are like our yellow sun? How many, all the way down to can life, intelligent life exist? Can it communicate? Is it in an age where they can receive communications? All these types of things. But it breaks it down in a way that's almost simple. Yeah, right? they I mean, try to do a nice simple estimate of what that would, yeah. what the probability would be. Well, and what else, what else is interesting about, interesting about aliens and you know, then we'll then we'll move on because it's not an alien right. show. But we're talking about it, and it's very exciting for me. The other thing that's kind of crazy is when you're looking at it from a historical context. You know, before when we thought the sun was the center of the universe, you know, you have all these weird things where, you know, a person could say, "Well, that doesn't make any sense." Well, we you know we haven't found it yet. The planets. Why wouldn't other? Why would we be the only nine planets in the in the galaxy? That doesn't make any sense to a logical person. But we haven't found them. So there were the common thought was there aren't any. I didn't even really realize that. And I think we're at a point I believe where why wouldn't there be life everywhere? Exactly. No. And I think I think that's more the common view. Again, when it comes to the ancient alien stuff, I'm kind of the funny person on the show who's like, you know, people are darn smart. I think most of this stuff we find people did because we're smart and we could do it. Right, right. <laughs> but it's still cool sort of going forward, asking the question of how would you explore space? What's out there? How would we run into them? Yeah. Um, well, it's exciting stuff. And technology is, is involved and technology is involved with superheroes, which is kind of where you're – that's kind of your wheelhouse, man. I mean, you it really is. like turned this into a whole thing. It is. So, and if I can self-plug myself, I'm yeah, going to write two books for it. You should. Uh, why so, have you not? What, that's well, what we're just, here for. It's, it's time. So now uh, I'm finding the time now, and I have two very different books. It's very funny. I'll be curious to see how people respond to them. One I am attempting to do, I'm partnering with the woman who did the graphics for a Walking Dead course. Oh, okay. Yeah. To do a, a graphic style where it's superpowers. Um, where I do the science of the superpower in just a page or two. Yeah. And then she does the cool graphic drawings. So the, the classic one is invisibility. And I talk about <laughs> yeah. a cloak of invisibility. Yeah. And the material we would use now to make it would probably be more like rock. So she has this cool drawing of a cloak made out of rock that the superhero is trying to drag along to be invisible. <laughs> <laughs> and so That's it's great. kind of, I view it as my big coffee table book. That's great. That's so, a, yeah, you got to put this thing so out. That one I got to get out. And then yeah. the other one, my other big interest. In among all this stuff is I also talk about science and religion a lot. Oh. So I'm walk, working on a book called God is the Ultimate Superhero. <laughs> well, that is true. <laughs> and that, is, and that, one, that one I hope to have out by the summer. That's, That's almost done. Oh, it is? Oh, yeah. great. So these aren't so, things that you're, that you're no. like, oh, I should do this. No, these so are that one's dead. almost done. And the other one we've started the first, like I said, we're drafting the invisibility and we're getting that one going. So Oh, that's great. It's, it's finally time to get these things done and out there. Well, when they come out, I'm going to promote them. Sounds usually. good. Absolutely. Um, so well, let's talk about invisibility because the made out of rocks, I'd never heard that before. So how would that, what does that mean? How would well, that work? One of the cool things about invisibility, there's lots of ways you can think about doing it. People have heard about, um, you know, these cloaks or cars. It was in a James Bond episode where you have fiber optics and you take an image with the cameras of what's on one side of you and project it on the other. 
Okay, yeah. And then so when I look at you, I see what's behind you instead of you. Kind of super camouflage. Yeah. Now, the cool thing about light is light is a wave and it bends. Yeah, I was going to say, that's another way to do it, right? Exactly. And so I like to tell people, picture water. Water waves come down a stream, they hit a rock, they bend around the rock, and then they come back together. And if you look at the rock from behind and you were far enough downstream, you wouldn't necessarily know the rock was there because you would just see the regular water waves. And if, only if you get close do you see the shadow. Right. And then you see the rock. Right. So now, if you think about bending light around you, the challenges are the wavelength is incredibly small. We're talking yeah. microns. Yeah. Um, and, but you can still do it. And what you have to do, though, is make what we call metamaterials. So if you think about all the fiber optic cool toys you've played with mm -hmm. as a kid, you know, you get them like at Disneyland and stuff where the lights come out the ends and so it spins and yeah. you can bend the cable as much as you want and the light stays inside of it. A friend of mine has a Christmas tree at work and it, that's what it is. Exactly. It colors. And so those work because the fiber is made out of an interesting variation in the index of refraction. And the index of refraction of a material is it's just its property that tells you how fast light will go when it's in it. So glass has a higher index of refraction than air, so light slows down in glass and so it can bend. And water. Same too. with water. Yeah. And that's why you have the cool demo people often show you. Stick a pencil in a glass of water and it looks broken. Right. Because the light bent. <laughs> yeah. Now, so if you get clever and you kind of design your material with the right variations and in index of refraction, you can get it to bend light around the object. Okay. And so you have your cloak. As the light enters, it literally, instead of getting stuck inside like a fiber optic, it bends around it and comes out the other side. And that defeats, I mean, the way we see things is light bounces off of you. Mm -hmm. So the light hitting you from the front, instead of reflecting, bends around and goes out the back. And the light from behind you bends around and comes out the front. Okay. And now I just see what's behind you. And I do it without cameras, without computers, just the material does it. And this, this could be done. And people have done this. People make these at Berkeley. Um, this material, and, and we have a mathematician here at UCI who works on this from the mathematics side. Um, so... And one of the motivations on the science side for doing this is building optical computers. Um, you'd like to be able to manipulate light the same way you manipulate electrons, mm. only light's faster than electrons. It moves at the speed of light. Right, you can't get faster <laughs> than that. And so you can get faster computers and, and possibly less heat and, and a more efficient and ultimately a quantum computer. So th there's this real interest in manipulating light. Yeah. And that's where this came out of. Now, from an invisibility point of view, the two challenges are this is where the stone cloak comes in. Mm -hmm. Materials are typically ceramic-like. They're not, you know, normally if you want to make a cloak, you think of some nice fiber, you know, flowing yeah. material. These are pretty rigid materials that are hard to imagine at the moment making a cloak. That's one. The other thing is they tend to work in narrow wavelengths, right? The index of refraction of most materials is very particular to the wavelength. So if you want to bend blue light, that's different than red light. Oh, I see. I and see. so you could have trouble unless you're in the right color light of being perfectly invisible. So it could work the other way where maybe a certain wavelength isn't and you would be visible in blue. Right, exactly. And visible in every other color. Exactly. So uh -huh. you would glow blue then. Right. <laughs> yeah. So it could be the glowing cloak instead of the invisibility cloak. <laughs> that would be pretty creepy, actually. Yeah. The other thing I like to tell the students when I talk about this is, of course, if you're bending light around you, you have the challenge of seeing anything because mm. now no light gets to your eyes. Right. So my, my joke is if you see a pair of floating eyes, there's probably an invisibility cloak being used. <laughs> <laughs> like a cartoon. Yeah, exactly.
All right, so let's move on to, we'll go through big superheroes and then move our way into more obscure ways. Uh, Batman has always been, Batman and Spider-Man are my two favorite superheroes, but from a technological standpoint, Batman's a little bit cooler. He definitely gets the better stuff. I guess that comes from being a billionaire. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. So is it possible, if I had a billion dollars, if I had won you know, Warren Buffett's NCAA challenge and I suddenly had a billion dollars, is it possible to be Batman or Iron Man for that matter? Because they're very similar. Yeah, Batman's probably a little easier to be than Iron Man. Um, okay. In my sense, Batman's you know one of those. I I mean, well, obviously he's you know on TV and in the cartoons, he's people know him the best. Right. And very rarely is his technology that far ahead of where we actually are. And a lot of it is actually right where we are. Okay. Um, so particularly if you look at some of the most recent Batmans, you know the bat suit from a protection point of view, has basically what we do with the Army now. Kevlar and oh. ceramic plates. Okay. I mean, that, that part of it is, is you know, very realistic. You have the trouble whenever you're trying to design um, protection, you're looking for something very different, say, for bullets versus knives. Okay. Right. You know, you got the, the forces generated by those are different. The knife is thin, sharp. The speeds aren't very high, and you're, you know, mm-hmm. you're relying on the edge of the blade to cut. Mm-hmm. And so you can, and Kevlar, for instance, is a weave. So you can imagine the knife edge getting in between the weave and, oh, and I see. doing things. Okay. Um, where hitting a ceramic plate, it hits the ceramic plate. There's nothing for the knife to get in between. Right. That's what I'm saying. If it yeah. stops a bullet, it would stop a knife. Exactly. Right. <laughs> but, but like I said, the Kevlar gets iffy when it comes to the right knife and the right design, just because the way the, Kev- the Kevlar, you know, the bullet doesn't have a sharp point usually. Right. Right. And that's why you get these armor-piercing rounds that are trying to deal with Kevlar oh. and, and interact with it in a different way. Okay. Um, the Kevlar works by a very clever way of making itself very strong with the fibers because they stretch in a direction that makes them absorb a lot of energy. Okay. Because the fibers are interweaved, and when the bullet hits them, they, they move just a little bit against your body, it looks like. Uh-huh. But the way they're weaved, they move a long distance parallel to your body. They're okay. stretched along that. And that's a lot of energy. Yeah. And anytime energy goes somewhere else, it's energy not going into damaging you. Yeah. Well, the fun thing about Bulletproof is that, you know, okay, so a bullet won't go through Kevlar. It's still hitting your chest it, and your ribs it's with still the force your, of a bullet. bullet. So, so you get bruised, you can yeah. feel the pain. But again, the more energy, and that's why these ceramic plates are a very cool design. Um, in a lot of the armor, they shatter Okay. as the bullet hits it. And again, that's absorbing a lot of the force. It's still hitting you, yeah. but it's all about where does the energy go. Yeah. The more energy that gets used up by the stuff in front of you, the less bruised you're going to get. That makes sense. And so when they shatter, I mean, is it like glass? I mean, they shatter? Yeah, it's pretty much like glass. And there's a layer behind it to make sure you don't get stabbed with any of the ceramic. That's obviously key. That would that kind of sense. defeat the point. <laughs> right, yeah. Um, the bullet but, doesn't kill you, but the shards sure, will. But the shards will. <laughs> but it's, it's the same idea behind um, crash zones in your car. Oh. Right? A typical car now is designed more out of plastic. Yeah. More to fall apart in a car accident than to stay together. Yeah. So, bummer, you have to get a new car. Good thing you're alive. Right. And the more energy that goes into your car, less into you. Oh, That's that kind of sense. the bottom line science idea. Yeah. I remember watching those old videos of, um, we had, I, I wasn't this old when I went to school, but they had <laughs> the videos of, you know, from the 30s and 40s of like, or maybe it was the 50s, 
where people, you know, the post, the um, steering column would just impale people. Oh, yeah. It it's, didn't move. It didn't, it, yeah, exactly. It's so it's, exactly. It's, it's like a, a spear. <laughs> and you're dead. Yep. <laughs> like, it's just, it's crazy. Uh, so now, now with Batman, the technology, the amount of small, I mean, you know, in the 60s version, it was almost, obviously, it was a cartoon, basically a live-action cartoon. Right. Where he had a utility belt that had, I remember in the movie, he had shark repellent. He had manta ray repellent, shark repellent spray, you know, right. eel repellent spray. <laughs> obviously, it doesn't have all that. But in a utility belt, you know, he's got a grappling hook. He's got, you know, smoke pellets, you know, blah, blah. Some of that stuff, obviously, the smoke pellets are modern technology. But what about a grappling hook, like that gun, that cool gun that you can shoot up? And right. So up? most of his technology, the challenge is not the technology. It's making it that small. Okay. That's, that's the thing with Batman is how much he can hold in his belt and how small it is. And that's something we're getting better at mm -hmm. because – with the grappling hook, as materials get better and get stronger, um, you can make the wire thinner and still support you because it's okay. a stronger material. Yeah. You can make the hook a little bit smaller. Um, really, the grappling hook, the, the real challenge is always making the gun as small as possible. Right. Um, because that's, that's you know, you need enough power in there. With, with most superheroes, the, the limit on their power comes down to how can they generate the necessary energy in the short amount of time that they need it? Okay. And the fundamental law of physics that they're mm -hmm. trying to deal with is really what we call the second law of thermodynamics. Mm -hmm. And most people are used to this as the idea that entropy increases. Right. So they've heard that phrase. They may be familiar with it. Um, I like to use the analogy that your room is a mess unless you do some work to make it clean. Right. That's entropy increasing. <laughs> right. But what, another consequence of this is anytime you have energy changing form, so yeah. you want electrical energy, say, to give you motor power. Okay. Or you want to burn gasoline to make your car go. Or any of these things that you're doing, when you're changing energy from one form to another, it generates what we call waste heat. There's yeah. Something has to heat up. You always lose energy. Nothing's ever efficient, 100% efficient. So with Batman's grappling gun, right, you have to think about how, how much energy do I need to shoot my grappling hook the distance I want. That's probably not the problem. If all you needed was for the gun to shoot the grappling hook somewhere, you could probably make it pretty small because the hook isn't that heavy. You don't need a ton of energy to shoot it. Mm -hmm. um, it's when he uses them to lift himself as well or lift someone else. That motor is going to need a lot of energy. And that motor is going to generate a lot of heat. Right. And it's uh, got to be small. And to make it small. And powerful. And powerful. And also not generate the heat is, is a real problem. Um, that's a technology where, again, I, I, with Batman, I don't feel like anything he does violates what I would call fundamental principles of physics. Mm -hmm. um, they're really what we consider technological challenges. Now, you might find that to make a device that small always heats up too much and it would basically melt mm -hmm. but you know it's not clear that, that you couldn't do it mm -hmm. and that's why i contrast him a little bit with iron man mm -hmm. you know iron man's suit is super cool yeah it is and again no individual item in the suit is necessarily something you couldn't do the problem with iron man is his energy source really is unrealistic okay that's what i was going to go into next yeah yeah <laughs> and that's where iron man runs into trouble yeah is is the energy source as best as you can see it described in the movies and comics, probably does violate fundamental limits on generating energy, energy efficiency, and those sort of things. 
Um, the suit has a little – the suit – and they did a great job, I thought, in the first movie of showing him learning how to fly. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. it's inherently not aerodynamically stable. <laughs> right. right? So, so flying with that is going to be a major challenge of his. <laughs> yeah. I, again, not necessarily impossible because basically what – it one of the interesting things you learn um, when you look at this is our fighter jets. Our mm-hmm. best fighter jets are basically aerodynamically unstable. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, because the idea is you want to be able to turn really quickly and avoid being shot. Right. And the best way to turn suddenly is to essentially be effectively on the edge of not flying at all. Right? Just being a really, really fast rock in the air. <laughs> yeah. Wait, explain that exactly. again. So. <laughs> so, so that, you know, if you're on the edge of spinning out, yeah. then to get yourself to spin out is easy to do. Right, okay, all right, I'm with <laughs> and, you there. And so, so Iron Man being inherently unstable in the air and aerodynamically is not necessarily a problem. You could okay. imagine him getting to fly with enough thrust and, and, and moving around. Okay. Um, he, he has no real built-in lift, so in terms of like a wing or an airfoil. So he would constantly having to be pointing his jets. He's much more like... a Almost, not really, yeah, almost like a helicopter kind of. I mean, he's a rocket, really. Yeah. That's what he is. He's a missile. He's a missile. So he's a missile whose engines can point in different directions. Right. So, but, but you don't but, think there's anything. So if, if we made the leap, the leap that the power source that he has right. worked and was real, then everything else falls into place. Then I think it all much more falls into place. One of the fun things I like to do when you watch Iron Man, though, um, and... I really felt in the Avengers, they did this well with Hulk, actually. But with Iron Man, there's always Newton's third law you have to ask about. Mm. And that's with every force, there's an equal and opposite reaction. So when he fires a missile from his suit, there's a recoil there. There's no way to avoid that. (laughs) A hiccup. In the movies, a hiccup. (laughs) In the movies, a hiccup. (laughs) Um, And so sometimes it's interesting. Sometimes they use that, and sometimes they work with the recoil, and sometimes they just have him firing stuff, and and as far as it can see, it has no effect on him. You know, unlike, you know, a typical fighter jet when it fires its missiles, the difference in mass is huge. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right? The fighter jet is way more massive than the missile, so the recoil is effectively small. Right, that makes sense. And so you're not you're not going to see it to your eye, and so we're used to not seeing recoil when missiles are fired. Mm-hmm. So from a, a visual point of view. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, if you even just look at guns, you can find plenty of funny YouTube videos of people falling over backwards trying to shoot a gun. <laughs> well, it's that's I got to say, this is what drives me bananas watching any TV show with a gun. The hand is straight out in front of them. Exactly. And and the, the, the they fire round after round <laughs> and their arm doesn't move at all. I mean, it's like, are they 3000 pounds? Like, how exactly. does that even no, happen? So, Anyone who so, shot a gun knows even small guns, you're going to move. You're going to move. And, and that's one of the hardest. That's one of the hardest visual things. And we've been trained for some reason in our movies not to expect recoil. Well, the reason is they're shooting blanks and the well, yeah. not moving, <laughs> moving at all. Yeah. <laughs> um, I wish they made like a blank that had, but you have to be shooting something, right? It's right, you would have to have yeah. something come out to do yeah. it. Yeah. I mean, you can just, you can watch like Mythbuster episodes where they fire real bullets and you can see the things recoil. <laughs> yeah, I like that show. That's a good show. Yeah. Um, so, so what about the pulse cannon? What about Iron Man's pulse cannon? The ability to generate an amount of energy, you know, it doesn't matter if it comes out of your hand or not, but his does. Right. Could you, could you generate that kind of, do we have that technology to generate an energy beam? So this is one of those questions I get asked a lot, and the, the challenge is defining an energy beam. 
Okay. So in physics, energy is not a thing. Right. It, it's what we use to describe the state of a thing. Okay. And so often in, in common science fiction superhero things, energy is used to describe basically a laser. Right. So like, like water, a wave isn't a thing. It's the movement of it through right. the medium. medium. So what's the medium yeah. that's – okay, doing that it. makes sense. So when you think of an energy weapon or a pulse weapon, you basically have two choices um, to match what you see, which is a visual bright light shooting out and causing damage. Yeah. You can imagine – Usually heat damage. Usually heat damage. Yeah. You can imagine – most people, if you ask them, think of it as, oh, it's some sort of laser thing because they've heard of lasers and they think that's what it is. I actually prefer um, plasmas. Okay. Um, plasmas are very, very hot charged ions. And the cool thing about a plasma energy beam is you have both the kinetic energy feature, which is that you have a lot of matter moving very, very quickly. Basically, a bullet is an energy weapon. Yeah, okay. <laughs> you know, it's a kinetic energy weapon. The it's, bullet's the medium. The, the bullet's right? the medium. It's got a lot of kinetic <laughs> energy. It hits you, it hurts. Right. <laughs> um, and so when you hear people say, oh, do you think they could build a kinetic energy weapon? I say, yes, a gun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, but a plasma en- weapon is also not that hard to imagine. I mean, we generate plasmas a lot. Again, all of this, the caveat here is in generating it, Iron Man would probably melt. But <laughs> we, we, we can ignore okay. that for a moment. What you do you know, with high electric fields, high magnetic fields, you can strip off the ions you can make something positively or negatively charged you could either do a positive ion beam or a negative ion beam you'd a negative one would probably be just an electron beam you know that's an old-fashioned tv we made the cathode rays where you made the electrons hit the screen and you got the image that way right so that technology it's all known how to generate that beam um, and from a weapon point of view the advantage of a plasma beam is that not only has energy is also charged and so that so you can, charging, do, you can that, move it then? You can move it with yeah. magnetic or electric fields if you right. wanted to down the road. But more importantly, it's going to cause that much more damage to stuff because it'll have electrical forces as it hits the things it, it's interacting with. Okay. Um, and you can get them up to incredibly high energies. And they will glow because as they rip through the atmosphere, it's ionizing the atmosphere, and that's setting up that glow charge that you see. Oh, so that is accurate. So that would be accurate, okay. yeah. So they would glow because you would get this discharge, just like lightning. It's basically lightning. Okay. So, yeah. so it's, it's possible, but not possible, because you're saying the amount of energy that we need to create, it would melt the suit? Exactly. So the problem with generating these, you need very high energies, and then we get back to our second law of thermodynamics. You generate a lot of heat. Yeah. And so Iron Man needs really, really good cooling systems <laughs> if he's going to use this sort of weapon. Right. But that's why when you hear things like an ion cannon, mm. that... It's hard to imagine how to build one, but I'm constantly not surprised by how clever we end up being. <laughs> that, to destroy that's things enough, and yeah, people. to destroy <laughs> things and people. Um, and I, I think, you know, you could imagine, particularly like if you go to something like a science fiction thing with Star Wars or something, these ion cannons were huge. And now you can imagine getting both the cooling and the energy in mm-hmm. to make something like that work. Yeah. And the trick would be getting it to the size of his hand. I mean, exactly. not even not even getting it to work, you know, the size of this room we're in, but... His hand. And so, in, in general, most of these things, it's the size that causes you the problem. Okay. Um, well, let's, you, t- you mentioned the Hulk. Now, the Hulk seems like you posed the challenge to me to make something you can't explain. Right. 
Now, could you? Is the the Hulk is not possible, correct? I'm not exactly possible. Now, be careful. My my challenge is not that I can't explain it; that I can't use science to discuss it. I'm very nasty okay. with that. Okay, so, no, that's so fair. So saying that All it's right. wrong is still using science. That's true. Did you're <laughs> explaining science how it's incorrect. Correct. Okay. Um, but but the Hulk. What's fascinating about the Hulk? And I think all of our strong superheroes, if you think about it, look at how much trouble we're having with steroids, mm-hmm. right? The one way we know to make people stronger, now not as strong as the Hulk, yeah. but to bulk unless them up. Ferrigno. Unless you're right. right. <laughs> but to bulk them up, to get them more ma- muscle mass. I mean, basically the Hulk is more muscle mass. Yeah. At, instantly, at, though. Instantly. I mean, yeah. Um, so again, there's a speed issue. But we, we also know... It seems to be that for whatever reason, the drugs we know about causing more muscle mass do tend yeah. to cause other problems, and some of them emotional. Yeah. And if you think about the Hulk, his thing is this combination of, you know, serious emotional issues with his super strength. <laughs> right. It's and, a problem. A problem. <laughs> and most big people, most superheroes with super strength seem to also have these emotional issues. Right. Um, the other funny thing is he's green. Yeah, and his pants are purple, and they and always stay on. And they always stay on. Why don't you explain that with physics? Well, that <laughs> no, that's not a physics thing. That's just a statement of fact. If you remember the last, not the last, the second Spider-Man where he's fighting um, Doc Ock, uh, yeah. and then he has to save the train. Yeah. In the process of saving the train, his suit rips. Right. Right, and it's very, it's it's very important to know that a superhero has used extra more strength. Something has to rip. Right, it's true. <laughs> but but it can't fall off completely because right. then it couldn't be on TV. Yeah, I mean the Hulk <laughs> should be naked every time he turns into the Hulk. Exactly. Unless his waist, for some reason, remains Bruce Banner. Well, he has, he has special stretch pants. Right. <laughs> They're like per- and it's super pants. Yeah, but the, it's like yeah, it's always the case. Anyway. And, and when you stretch them, the molecular structure changes just enough. The color always changes to purple. <laughs> right. Explain that with science, sir. <laughs> well, you know, actually, the scary thing is you probably could. Really? If you had a polymer. Yeah. A lot of polymers, their optical properties will depend on how much you stretch them no kidding exactly so you could do that so you could probably figure out a way to make a material whose color response is different with how much you stress it you're amazing and stretch you're amazing (laughs) it's pretty good it's a fun direction but the hulk the 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 two things with the hulk that are interesting um and one is how quickly it happens right right and where does all that mass come from we're all used to the conservation of mass idea and i think that's really more of a problem than his clothes and his pants. Mm-hmm. I, can, I can get things to stretch, mm-hmm. but to add that mass yeah. um, really has to come from somewhere. Um, and that is almost impossible to figure out where that mass would come from and make a justification. A lot of these superpowers, I'm pretty good at, you, you can think about it and you say, okay, if I accept this, then here's how it would work. Right. Right. The, the rapid increase of mass um, is almost impossible, particularly useful biological mass. Uh-huh. Right? If I just want a chunk of mass. Useful biological mass. Exactly. I like that. That's a good phrase. I, I, I can envision using <laughs> Einstein's relation, because there is a relation between energy and mass. Mm-hmm. And I can say, okay, we're going to create matter because we have massive amounts of energy. Um, hard to do to get the energy you need to create the mass you need. But to then have it be actual like muscle or where you want it is almost impossible. Well, what if, you know, and I'm using kind of a, a pedestrian example here, but water. Right? right. When water's in the liquid state, it, the molecular structure is different than when it's in a solid state and it makes rings and it actually expands. It's slightly bigger in the solid right. state than in the liquid state. Is there any way you could 
change the structure of muscle tissue so that when it's, for better, for lack of a better term, at room temperature, it's reg- it looks like it functions as if it's regular muscle muscle tissue. Then when an, a hormone or some other kind of enzyme is added, it changes structure while maintaining its muscle properties, but it increases in both size and ability. Um, the pro- you could probably have a situation where you get something where basically the muscle fibers are working in a certain way together um, and that you can imagine there's a different reorganization that you're stronger. Okay. So you could imagine a transformation, um, usually with biological processes, you know, you could probably get it to minutes. You know, it would take a few minutes and you reorganize your structure in a way that you're stronger but you would never be able to do it in a way where you're more massive. So like when water expands into ice, the density goes down because the mass is staying the same. Right. The volume's getting bigger. So you can make a fluffy Hulk. (laughs) Right. Um, And actually, you know, that's, I'm going to steal this idea from you because... <laughs> yes, you heard it here first. Yeah. I have inspired Dr. Denon, expert because superhero. one of the things we do, so uh, to make a material stronger for the same density is to make a foam. Right. And so you, you have some material and then you bubble gas into it uh, and you have the same amount of mass, but now in this fiber structure... And it's arranged in a way that it's much stronger and it's going to be bulkier. So this could give, it could make something like the Hulk way more resistant to damage. It wouldn't necessarily make him any stronger from a generating force point of view. Mm-hmm. Um, so you'd have to think a little bit about the biology of generating forces, whether you could imagine a arrangement of the muscle, like a foam muscle. Oh, that's what. So we've just invented here foam muscle. Foam muscle. <laughs> yes. And you could imagine it it being both. You can certainly imagine it being stronger from a resisting damage point of view. Oh, of course. And then you would have to ask, you know, could it function by generating bigger forces because it now has this different structure? Um, and it would certainly be bulkier. He would uh-huh. now be bulked up. Now he still wouldn't have any additional mass. And and one of the cool things like about the Avengers is they did a good job, I felt, in filming him as being a massive creature. Mm-hmm. Um, when he, There's the collision between him and the alien spaceships and stuff, and those mm-hmm. interactions. They do a good job of it being about mass and mass and not um, strength. And the reason I say that is, you know, when he's sliding along the ground, you know, the ground is being torn up and ripped as the thing hits him because no matter how strong he is, the biggest force he can generate is the friction between his feet and the ground, mm-hmm. right? Because if he collide, if you collide with something in midair, it doesn't matter how strong you are. It's just a mass-mass thing. The two masses hit, you conserve momentum, and you end up moving in the direction you end up moving by the laws of physics. And your strength right. has nothing to do with it. Right. Your strength is only as useful as the friction you can generate with the ground. Mm. That makes sense. Um, okay. And that's why, you know, football players on the wet ground or ice, I mean, if I... If, if, if I ever had to be against the linemen in football, uh-huh. I'd want it to be on ice because now we're equal. We're both just going to slide. <laughs> if, sure. if it's on the grass, I'm dead. Right. <laughs> they will annihilate you. Um, but if you watch that, you know, the fact that he can stop these other big massive objects is you know you have the sense that the Hulk is super massive himself. Right. Well, so let's, let's – with that idea – 
this kind of moves into Captain America territory because okay. yeah. what Captain America is is a super soldier. There is a serum right. that was created, um, steroids, right. that, that <laughs> made him bigger, faster, stronger. But it's not steroids. It's a super serum. Is there something that we could create, you know, going along this Hulk theme where you could take a person and reorganize their physical structure so that they are, maybe they're not more dense, um, right. but, that, but that their muscles are stronger, that, you know, whether it's the ligaments that pull tighter, like in the movie Rookie of the Year. You know, like, can we give someone that kind of ability with a serum? Uh, yeah, that, that is actually the most likely scenario mm -hmm. because what you're trying to do, fundamentally up to a certain limit, um, you're asking about three things in the human body when you want to make a person stronger. The muscle, the bone, and the ligament structure. And that's fundamentally all chemical-based. And so what you're doing with a serum is you're, you're developing some sort of enzyme, some sort of virus. We use virus and we often think of it in a negative way. Um, a virus you know, down the road would be an interesting way to generate superpowers and we'll probably get to that oh. with spider-man because they just inject genetic material so they, you put they them just in, inject oh, great. genetic material and you can target things so um you can imagine that's how you would design some of these things and we know i mean what what is exercise basically exercise is just building new is convincing your body to make new muscle tissue so i mean that's one of the funny things about a lot of the superheroes i think the reason you can talk science about most of them is People start with an idea that they know they can do, right? We all know people who have made themselves stronger and faster by working out. And so it's logical to think, well, if you can do it, why not do it even more? Right. Right. So the question is never, hardly ever the question is doing it. The question is what's the limit on it? Um, and so the other interesting thing about a serum is at some point, there's a race between your muscles and ligaments and what your bones can support. Okay. Right, that makes sense. And the super strong muscles, weak or weak bones, bones snap. They just snap. Mm -hmm. Now our bones are surprisingly strong um, as a material because of their structure. They're very interesting material structure. What, what we call is they have structure on lots of multi-length scales. They're called the multi-scale material. So they have small-scale structures, large-scale structures, and you put those all together, and it, it's kind of like this foam idea we talked about. By yeah. having structures on multiple scales, you can actually get a lot of extra strength out. Um, that was the brilliant foam Hulk idea that I came exactly, up with Exactly, the brilliant right. foam Hulk idea. <laughs> uh, so you might, you know, certainly at the level of what you see Captain America doing, you might not need to really impact your bone structure because it's already mm. pretty strong. Okay. And we're not talking a lot of extra mass. Um, but the serum would, in principle, be something that is a chemical mixture that deals both with generating muscle, ma muscle mass, ligament strength, and then ultimately, if needed, adjusting the bone strength. Well, the trick with, now correct me if I'm wrong here, I know you're not a biology major. Right. When I think of, um, when I think of speed and agility and strength, they're almost like inverse. So the stronger you get, the less agile you are. But with, with Captain America, he is both strong and agile, which makes him, that's what makes him that much more, you know, right. a superhero. Now, my sense of that, I, I think you're right. We all have this sense of agility and strength being inverse-related. But the little bit I've, I've looked into this and the biology of it, it, it's largely because from purely physical training, it's hard to train simultaneously your muscles that are about quickness and your muscles that are about strength, right? It's a different mm -hmm. biological process. Mm -hmm. And if all you have is lifting weights, running, 
drinking protein shakes, <laughs> right. right? Your 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 ability to train both of those just from a sheer time point of view, <laughs> right, becomes challenging. You have but to do double duty. Essentially. You have to do double duty, and. I don't think I've never seen anything that suggests they're inherently biologically incompatible. Ah, okay. Right? So okay. if you were doing it by this serum method, um, if you were cheating, basically, right? Yeah. Then I don't think there's anything in biology that prevents developing both of those sets of muscles. Wow, that's really interesting. Now, yeah, as you said, I'm not a biologist, though. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, any 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 of my scientific biology major fans and doctors, right. please give me a call. Any doctors. Uh, now, now, what about the villains? You know, because the villains always seem, for some reason, I can kind of get my head around the um, the potential that a superhero could exist. But the villains always seem to be a little bit crazy. Like Electro, for example. We'll go with Spider-Man, who we haven't talked about yet. We're going to get to Spider-Man in a second. But like Electro, yeah, I mean, he controls, or Magneto. Right. These people who control the electromagnetic force. Yeah, is that even, that can't be possible. Well, it, it's certainly not possible the way it's portrayed. Because they're doing cases. it biologically. Because they're doing it biologically. Yeah. But, again, a lot of this is scale. Um, we have electric eels. Mm. They do shock things. They yeah. do generate it. Um, we walk along a carpet and touch our friend and give them a little shock. Yeah. So, so the question you have to ask is, okay, what about it are the challenging features that make it a little unrealistic? Um, generating a simple electric discharge is probably the easiest thing to imagine a superhero or supervillain doing. Um, but controlling that is always the problem. I mean, also Storm is, is like this. I mean, mm -hmm. I know you were mentioning villains, but yeah. Storm controls lightning. Yeah. And, and the thing I point out is, you know, electricity is always going to take the easiest path to ground. That's just what electricity does. Mm -hmm. So shooting and controlling electricity is incredibly hard because to control its path through the air is almost impossible. Right, yeah. But when you target it is, I mean, it's going to want to get to the earth as fast as it can. Um, and it'll find its quickest route. And you don't know the exact nature of the air, where the water is, the humidity distribution, and all of that. Yeah. So generating electric voltages, not so crazy. Um, Magneto I find fascinating because with Magneto, one of the things about him is you, you, you certainly, we're learning more and more about animals detecting magnetic fields okay. and using it for navigation or other interesting things like that. So, and we're all used to the fact that our brain Right, runs on these electrical chemical signals. So it turns out anytime you have charges that are being accelerated, they generate electromagnetic fields. So you do have some sort of electromagnetic field around you. It's, it's incredibly weak and it doesn't go very far. So how would you amp that up? So again, let's imagine you had the energy to make strong magnetic fields. Okay. What would they really do? And that's, that's the problem that you run into with Magneto. Um, he, he takes advantage of one false idea we have is that magnetic fields can do whatever you want to metal. Mm. And they really don't. Um, some metal, there's metals that just don't respond to magnetic fields. Mm -hmm. And if you've ever played with trying to, you know, stick magnetic refrigerators to stuff, right. you'll see that, you know, <laughs> aluminum doesn't work real well. Not at all. <laughs> Not at all. Um, other materials are what we call um, ferromagnetic or paramagnetic, in which what happens is near another magnet, they end up attracting. So that's your basic iron response. Okay. Right? If you, it, you can make iron magnetic if it's non-magnetic, and then it will stick with the magnet you're doing. Um, 
The other cool thing is the diamagnetic materials. And this is kind of the more fun one. This is in a magnetic field. It tries to repel the magnetic field. And this is where you get levitating frogs in magnetic field. So you can YouTube this. Yeah, one more time. Mag levitating so, frogs? Levitating frogs. So if you have a diamagnetic material, it wants to repel the magnetic fields. And basically, water is weakly diamagnetic. And living things have a lot of water. So there's these cool YouTube videos where you stick a frog in a high magnetic field gradient and they float. Well, that could be a super... I mean, couldn't and you that harness could be that? Yes. Yeah, so that, when you look at Magneto, right, if he knows what he's dealing with, right, you do suddenly have the ability, if I can generate a large magnetic field with a large gradient, I could repel you, for instance. Okay. But what I don't... What I don't have the ability to control or do, which is what he kind of does, and this, this gets to the uh, fundamental problem of magnetic fields. Magnetic fields always have their north and south pole, mm -hmm. unlike charges, which are either positive, negative, and separate. Okay. So people feel like, oh, I should either be able to attract or repel. That's true if there's another magnet. If there's something that's a permanent magnet, Magneto could make whatever field he needs to either attract or repel it. Okay. But if he's just dealing with random metal objects, if it's diamagnetic, like the floating frog, he can only repel it. If it's paramagnetic or ferromagnetic, he's only going to attract it. So he really can't control as well as he does in the comics and movies what happens to the metal. But he could influence it if he could generate magnetic fields. Okay. And that's the challenge with Magneto. And it has to do with the fact that magnetic fields are weird things, and it's, it's hard to have a good intuition about them. Yeah. But, you, but it's... But it is biologically possible to do that, or would is it is it possible with you know technology? Oh, it would be much easier with technology. Yeah. Um, with, with biologically, you know, the voltage is pretty easy to figure out how to generate. I mean, electric eels do it. Yeah. Um, to generate strong magnetic fields, what you need are really fast currents. Okay. So you you could imagine Magneto having some sort of genetic um, variation where, say, his body has interesting surface currents, right? And so if I had a spinning current around my chest, say, okay. then a magnetic field would come out for me. Okay. And, and loop around and come back in my back. Okay. That's what you would picture. Magnetic fields coming out your front, around, and in your back. Right. And then those magnetic fields could affect stuff around me, either attract or repel it. Yeah. But it's very, very hard. I mean, one of the things we do in science a lot, we often want to create specific magnetic fields and you have to design a complicated set of currents to usually get a field of a particular shape you want. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah. So then, then the shape would be just the area of influence. Right, exactly. And the shape would be the area of influence and what it did within that area of influence. <clears throat> um, now, I would be remiss if we didn't talk about Spider-Man oh, exactly. before this interview is over. <laughs> uh, now, Spider-Man is my personal favorite superhero. Not only, mostly because I like Peter Parker and I relate to him more as a person, as I think a lot of people do. Right. Um, you know, Superman's very difficult to relate to, who notice we haven't touched yet. Right. Um, but but Spider-Man, you know, is, is very relatable. But outside of that, he he's 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 a creature of both ability and technology, which right. is different than both Iron Man, Batman, you know, Captain America, even. So he he has the abilities of a spider, but he also doesn't you know outside of the first movies in the comic book he creates the webs he right. has web shooters he you know he has this technology let's talk about that for a second there's a couple aspects to talk about i want to talk about his web shooters first because Perfect. i think the technology is really fun yeah 
I'm going to let you go with that. So, silly string. No. <laughs> <laughs> Done. All right, moving Done. on. Moving on. No, actually, this was something. So, um, as we talked earlier, I, uh, I got to do Spider-Man Tech. Yes, you did, and, which and I didn't know existed until we spoke this interview. I usually do a lot of research. Was, I'm embarrassed. Thanks but, for embarrassing me. No, that's okay. It's okay. Um, but what, what I learned, I was embarrassed to learn that we as humans, as clever as I said I think we are, have only recently been able to mimic spider silk. That doesn't make any sense. No, it doesn't. But the, the spider silk is, is an absolutely amazing material. Mm-hmm. It is one of the strongest stretching materials that exists. And, and understanding the underlying, I mean, you talk, we talked earlier about strength and speed seeming to be incompatible. Well, strength and stretchiness really are in a way. Materially, mm-hmm. science-wise, it's hard to imagine putting them together. So you definitely need what we call a composite material. Um, but Kevlar does this in some respects. It stretches. Kevlar does it in an interesting way in that the fibers stretch parallel to the direction it's moving, and that gives it some extra strength. Got it. Okay. Um, but it's like but, a cheat. That's kind of a cheat. That's and, not and, what you're and, talking about. It's, it's, it's strength in one direction okay, in an I interesting way. And it's a direction parallel kind of to the way it's stretching. Okay. Or, I'm sorry, perpendicular. 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 Yeah. So, it's, so the spider silk is... Again, it, it's words I've used before, but it's really cool material science because it's composite. <laughs> yeah. So it has different polymers versus proteins versus other materials. And it's also multi-scale in that the structures happen on different length scales. Okay. And they have to combine in just the right way. Um, and so to make synthetic spider silk is a challenge of both getting the components right and then getting them to what we call self-assemble to form in the right length scales and the right sizes. Okay. So if you if you look this up, it's only recent that we've been able to kind of start to mimic synthetic spider silk. And then the third piece that comes into it is its weight. It's very lightweight. Mm-hmm. Um, so its strength per mass is incredible. So it is certainly something, the, the generating the spider silk is something Peter Parker could do. We, we know it's obviously it exists, spiders do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it shows what an incredibly intelligent scientist that he is, that he beat us to it by, by decades. Well, yeah, I said 40, 50 years. 40, 50 years. <laughs> um, and then the other cool thing is the, the second piece of this is not only getting the material science right, but now the biology is the spider spinnerets mm-hmm. are apparently an amazing structure for spinning it, for getting it to be that right combination of silk. And the le- so you've got the liquid silk that then has to come out and dry and has to dry at the right speed and do all this stuff and, and be weaved. Um, and that's an amazing technological challenge. Again, both of these, because we know spiders can do it, are things he could do. Right. Um, the, the trick with Spider-Man's is not the generating the spider silk. And, and the basic web of the swinging web, mm-hmm. you know, once you get a silk line, and it's sticky, you could stick it to things and swim, swing. Um, I did hear someone once point out, I love Spider-Man too. I think he's also my favorite. You know, I go back and forth a little bit between him and Batman, yeah. depending <laughs> on whether I want to be a millionaire or, <laughs> or not. Right. Uh, Me too. But someone did point out he's probably less effective in the countryside. Not as many tall buildings to swing he's on. That's true. He's only a city <laughs> He's guy. a city superhero. Yeah. Yeah. But, <laughs> that's an interesting point. But one thing I like about it is is that part's pretty easy to imagine. The other one is the when he does his web bullets, right? Yeah. When he shoots kind of the globs yeah. of web at people. That's easy to imagine. Okay. The the tricky ones are when he shoots it as an actual web structure. Right, like a net when he's like catching people. I was right. just gonna ask you that. Spinning a net to catch something, that's you know, 
what a spider does. So you could, there's one, I think it may even be the first Spider-Man movie where he, he creates a web across that catches a police car. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. You know that, that I'm okay with cause he's creating the web. Now he's doing it super fast, but he's a superhero. Right. Okay. We'll give him that. We'll give him that. He's got spider agility. Exactly. But for the web to come out as a web is harder to imagine. I okay. mean, as a net. You'd have to almost have like um, like what well, like frosting does, like various right, different yeah. tips on the edge of <laughs> right. the web shooter. Shooter, yeah. Um, um, or, but you could do that though, you right? You could, but you'd have to have a weird combination of them to like get it to spin into a net as it comes out. Right. Um, but, but but again, that that's what I think everybody is naturally drawn to with Spider-Man is his gut instinct that he's not that far off. Right. Yeah. Right. You know, and and the web technology. You know, even even the non-technological version in that first movie where mm-hmm. they made it part of him. Yeah. What was kind of interesting about that is it goes back to this idea of a virus or a retrovirus, mm-hmm. right? If mm-hmm. if you're getting spider DNA, um, there was a guy I know who got interviewed, and I'm forgetting his name for the Spider-Man tech, who's a biologist, and I loved his example was, suppose you want antlers somewhere, you know, just get de- deer DNA. <laughs> inject into the part of your body that you want to grow antlers and then you make the proteins and grow antlers you know so it's just that easy it's just that easy (laughs) but but there is this sense that the biotechnology side of things is quite impressive um and there's more more that we could probably do than we can imagine and probably more than we would want to do right well then that leads me to the hands which in the right. first movie they have, you know, they zoom in and you got these little micro fibers, like yeah, yeah, the fibers, hooks, whatever they are. Is that possible? Whether whether with technology or enhancing? Yeah, that that's actually that was the other. I mean, I, this is just I think some of the coolest signs. So there, you can actually look up gecko skin okay. or gecko pads. Okay, um, I think they're gecko called pads. something like that because what we've learned, we used to think geckos basically climbed on walls through suction cup type stuff because mm-hmm. that's what we thought it was. But no, it's these fibers. And what it is, um, is van der Waals attraction is the fancy name we give for molecules attracting each other when they get really close together. Okay. So basically, your typical molecule is electrically neutral. It has mm-hmm. the same number of positive and negative charges. But they're not on the same spot as each other. So the right. el- electrons are flying around in this cloud. The protons, the positive charge are in the center. So if you change the shape of the molecule... Okay. You can get electrical forces between things. It's a lot like when you rub the balloon on your head. Oh, yeah. And you, you get a little ele- extra electrons there. You put them near a wall. It shouldn't really stick. The wall's neutral. But what those electrons do is they push the other electrons away a little bit, and then they see the positive charges better, and then it sticks oh, to the wall. Oh, interesting. Okay, that's how. Right. Yeah. So you can take two molecules that you think wouldn't attract, and if they get close enough and their shapes are different and stuff, you get a force between them called the van der Waals force. Got it. And it, it's only short distance, but with nanofibers and enough of them, you can, you can actually, you're literally poking the fibers through. I mean, the wall is not solid through the molecules in the wall, right? In be, you get close enough now to the molecular structure and you have enough of these fibers. The van der Waals force makes it super sticky. And geckos do this. And that's how geckos do it. Wow. And, and their, their ligaments and muscles are designed so... It's a great, it's like a force that in one direction you really can't pull it apart because it's so strong. So that's why they hang there. But if you kind of peel it, you're only dealing with a few fibers at a time. So you can peel it off kind of like scotch tape. Yeah. And so I forget how much weight they held up, but you, you, there's a company making these sort of things and, and they're holding up certainly hundreds of pounds wow. with these materials. 
and then you kind of just peel it off the wall. So it's kind of a flap. So that is possible. And so, so they're making these big gecko feet that you can use to climb up walls with. Really? Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty amazing. So that, that is really cool. Wow. And you can use it on glass too, I imagine. So you can use it pretty much in any material because it doesn't rely on the properties of the material except that it's made out of molecules and you can get the fibers really close. Wow. Um, all right, last thing. We're running out of time. Okay. Spider-Man's sixth sense, the spider sense. Right. Can that, is that possible? I mean, this is more in the psychic realm, I guess. Well, you know, I think it depends how you look at it, right? I mean, one of the things we forget is we tend to be very much a sight-based animal. Um, and the other senses, and particularly one we hardly ever use, is our sense of touch, right? So... Which, you know, so the spidey sense that you see in some of the movies recently where, you know, he senses a car coming at him before he can see it and dives out of the way. That I have no problem with, mm. right? Anything moving towards you is disturbing the air. And, okay. you know, mm -hmm. you, particularly now that you've got your little fibers to climb with. Right, yeah. <laughs> right, they're really sensitive. Hearing, smell, all of these animals that use these other senses appear to have a spidey sense to us where we're just used to, oh, if I don't see it, it must not be there. Right. And, and I think okay. all of us, I mean, I've occasionally had that experience of, I mean, I, mean, I remember being a little kid and, and, and ducking for no reason. I wasn't And a car attention. flew over your head? No, a baseball thing. <laughs> oh. but, but, you know, but, you know, you're out at the baseball field, you're having fun, you're playing, yeah. and, and, you know, you're just like, whoa. And then you realize you ducked without even thinking you knew it was coming, but, you know, maybe you heard it, maybe something's going on. Now, the spidey sense where, oh, my spidey sense is tingling, you know, over, you know, on the other side of the city, somebody's robbing a bank. That's probably harder. <laughs> yeah. Well, but, it's usually when he's in danger. Right. And sometimes it is car out of the way, but other times it's, hey, I've, someone is out to do me harm. And right. In the air. Venom's in the air. Well, venom but, doesn't work, but, but, you know, that was a bad example. Electro's in the area. Area. So a lot of it would depend on how close, what what medium if you're thinking purely physics and physically there has to be some sort of connection that one of his five senses would be detecting mm -hmm. um you know the, the psychic telekinetic mental thing um is always a little bit fun because i, I mean I, again there's an energy involved here an energy scale but i'm amazed at what we're doing both in technology for reading brain waves and for hooking up brains to um, prosthetics, you know, the electronics to get your brain to control through mm. electrical signaling, a robotic arm is amazing. We're making vast progress there. So the brain as a detecting unit is an interesting thing. And again, projecting forward, it's not clear what the limits down the road of its detection would be. Mm -hmm. You know, energy is always the thing we come back to that's a problem. But it is an electromagnetic device. And one thing we, you learn in science is anything that can generate electromagnetic waves can detect them. They work both ways. Okay. That's how it works. Yeah. Oh. So like a motor is a generator. Mm. If you just run the motor backwards, you make a generator. If you run a generator backwards, you make a motor. Um, and that's kind of true of most of these things that are electro, electrically based. Well, I did not know that. Well, Dr. Denon, this is a great place to end it. Uh, this is uh, this is what I love. I love talking about these things in a very scientific way. And not even like in the nerdy way of like, would Spider-Man beat the Hulk? But in a right. way that breaks down the actual physics of the ability. Yeah, it's I mean, fun, isn't is, it? 
That's really cool. So what can I what can I do for you? What do you do? You have website? Do you have a Twitter account? You you look I, like a massive Twitter like everyone. <laughs> well, I I have a Twitter account. The ironic thing is I haven't figured out how to use it effectively yet. <laughs> so the only tweets on it are related to The Walking Dead. <laughs> that's that's great. <laughs> They're what? left over from that. I am I'm I do. We have my research website. I am working on building my Facebook page. So I will try to get you that information when it when it happens. Yeah, you give it to me. I'll put it on yeah. the website, and and we we can link to all that stuff. And the books are coming out. One's coming out in the summer. I one's hope one coming comes out in the summer, and then one other one comes out as soon as we can get it done. Date TBD. Yeah. All right, we'll go with that. Uh, Dr. Denon, thank you so much for being on the program. Oh, it was fun. Thank you. And thanks everyone for listening. Have a good night. Uh oh. Hold on a second. We are not done. You just heard the credits, but now I'm talking again. What happened? Well, it looks like this little Marvel-themed episode had a little Marvel-themed Easter egg for all of you listeners out there who stuck around to listen to the end credits. So here's what happened. After I ended that interview, Dr. Dennett and I sat around, and we ended up talking about the X-Men for another 15 minutes. So if you like what you heard, you want to hear some more, you want to hear about Professor X, you want to hear about Mystique, Wolverine, all that stuff, go to the website www.fascinatingnouns.com. Look for Dr. Michael Denon's page. You're going to find the little link right there for the 15 minutes of bonus footage. That is my commitment to excellence to you, the listener. We also have his Twitter account there and his Facebook page. And don't forget, if you like hearing this stuff, if you want to get daily updates, go to the website at the bottom of the page. Sign up for the newsletter. You will be the first. My legions of fans are always the first to hear about this. Check that out, at Daniel J. Glenn, Twitter, Facebook, Fascinating Nouns, Pinterest, Fascinating Noun. I don't know why they didn't give me the yes, but there it is. Lots of great pictures from past guests. So now this is it. Thank you for listening. Thank you for supporting, and have a good night.